Amen. You may be seated. How many of you have had a good week? Raise your hand. How many of you, you say, well, good night. It's been quite a week. Come on. All right. And how many of you look forward to the oasis, the spiritual oasis in the middle of our desert? Now, I've got some hands raised on that. Yes. Yes. Well, you've come to the right place. I want to talk to, to you very quickly about some things that are going on, and you need to mark these down. Everybody here and those live streaming, those watching later on, Father's Day is coming up on June 21st, June 21st. And I know that, that uh, Father's Day is famous for a number of things. We thank God for godly fathers, godly men. We thank God for those that have passed on, those that are still with us. Thank God for good role models. Thank God for the Bible that teaches us, how to, first of all, how to be a man for God. And, uh, and then, of course, the other important principles that we learn. And we're going to be preaching on Father's Day, June 21st. Don't miss it. Be here or live stream if you need to. But June 21st, we're just talking about a week from Sunday. Don't miss it morning and evening. I'll have some great messages from the Word of God for you, and uh, they'll motivate you. Then the week after that, now we're talking a couple of weeks out now, Sunday, June 28th is Honors Sunday. Everybody tune in. Listen now. Honors Sunday. If you are or have in your family graduates from any academic level or promotees from any major level to the next, they're going to be honored. We need to have the names turned in to uh, Miss Tina Little, all right? Tina's going to take those names, and there are going to be some certificates given. Now, we're not going to gather up front, but rather we're going to call your names and have you stand, and we're going to honor you and do everything that we ought to do. We won't have food after the service this time, but we will have that. And then in the evening service on the 28th, we will honor all of our Bible Institute students from this 14th year. Now, if you have attended or and or uh, viewed online uh, sessions 1401 through 1406, you may be included in our graduation exercises on the 28th, or if you promise to do so this summer. But I need to get your names turned in to Tina Little so that we can include them on the certificates that we give out. So we need that information, the exact spelling, how you want it, uh, on your certificate, and once again, we'll have folks stand, and we'll recognize them, and uh, this is all going to be very, we're going to do as special a time, I think more special than just having a virtual graduation, and some people have said, why don't we just do a virtual graduation? No, let's do an actual graduation. Let's have an actual service here, and an actual graduation, and an actual honoring of people within certain guidelines, obviously, for health and safety's sake, but let's, let's do it. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. And don't miss this Sunday. This Sunday, June 14th, uh, so practical. I'm going to be preaching in the morning on what is needed and what is missing that will keep us from getting what is needed. All right? So you need to come and find out what is needed. Uh, so many people uh, are claiming certain things need to be done in our society or in this country or whatever. I'm going to tell you, what God says in His Word is needed for our nation, for our country, for our society. And I'll tell you what's missing according to the Word of God. What's missing and what we need to do about it. So come back on Sunday, 11 a.m. Don't miss it. We'll be live streaming 945, also 11 
a.m. or you can attend. There's plenty of room. Come on, come on, come on. We've got overflow areas. You can come on and bring people with you if you want. That's fine. Listen, Christ is greater than coronavirus. Amen, amen. All right, then 6.30 on Sunday night, I'm going to bring a message that will give the Bible's response to and the Bible's answer to stress. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have experienced stress. If you're alive, you've experienced stress. If you've got a pulse, if you're breathing, you've had stress. There's going to be some Bible things to say about that. Don't miss it. This Sunday night, 6.30, either be here or live stream. Thank you so much. Thank you for your faithfulness. We're going to be receiving an offering in just a little while. But uh, thank you for those who have been sending their tithes and offerings in. And then our special love offering using the red uh, writing love offering envelopes. Make out the very best check you can to Central Baptist Church. And we're marking it for the Kearneys. We're getting them a couple of laptops. I'll have more information on that on Sunday. But I appreciate all who have participated already in this very important effort. And we're going to help our missionaries in Ghana uh, as they need to replace those worn out laptops with some new laptops that we're going to be getting them. All right, I'm going to ask you now to take your Bibles. We're in the fourth chapter of the book of Galatians. The fourth chapter of the book of Galatians tonight. Amen. And we've been in the book of Galatians for some weeks. Uh, the Apostle Paul writing by inspiration to the churches of uh, what was then Galatia is now southern Turkey. These people had been led to Christ. They'd believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd been organized into churches. And then a bunch of scoundrels came behind Paul and they were teaching false doctrine. They were saying you've got to become a Jew and go through Jewish rituals before you can become a Christian. So they thought they'd left something out. Now God is not in the business of pulling the rug out from under us. When you get to heaven and you say, I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, God's not going to pull the rug out and say, oh, you needed to do this other thing. That's not it at all. Salvation is Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. A plus nothing, minus nothing. And you don't have to hang on, hold on, keep on. Uh, the Lord... Uh, by way of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God helps us to keep on and we persevere, but that's not a means of salvation. We don't have to do anything or add anything to simple faith, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen? Amen. So these false teachers, as Paul said in our previous study, were very zealous. Have you ever met somebody that could really sell I mean, they could really sell. How many of you ever bought something at the door from a salesperson, and later on you realized you didn't really need it, but you bought it because they were such a good salesperson? Raise your hand. Yes, absolutely. Now, come on, the rest of you, I want to remind you what the Bible says about the eternal destiny of liars, okay? Remember that everybody's been taken at some time in their life. You either bought a lemon of a car or something happened, and somebody was a very good salesperson. Well, these false teachers were good salesmen, but they were bad Bible teachers. And we need to beware of false teachers. Uh, watch out for legalism. Anything that adds to simple faith in Christ is false teaching. All right. Please follow as I read beginning at verse 21. Verse 21 in Galatians chapter 4. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, 
the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, uh, which uh, gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Notice those words, but of the free. I like that. Let's pray. Father, fill me now with the Holy Spirit. Help me as I try to make clear these wonderful, wonderful verses about free grace. Thank you so much for them. We thank you for what you're going to teach us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a song that uh, has many variations, and uh, just a phrase sticks in my mind. The cathedral sang it. Other gospel groups have sung it. But it's also uh, entered into a number of different popular music genres. I'm talking about uh, Roy Acuff. How many of you know who Roy Acuff is? Oh, you're also spiritual. Oh, you know. All right. You know who Roy Yeah. Country. Country singer. Yes. Famous. And he would be on the Grand Old Opry, which is the only Opry some people know is the Grand Old Opry. But um, Roy Acuff. And uh, I know you know this name. Rick Nelson or Ricky Nelson as he was on, you know, the Nelson family. And um, Rick Nelson uh, recorded a version of uh, song that I'm going to make reference to, and other people as well with different versions of it. But uh, tonight's comments are sort of the title of a song, No Charge to Ride the Glory Train, or the Glory Train. Now, you get on the glory train, you're on your way to heaven, and most all the songs that are sung about that are about going to heaven. I promise you there's not much real gospel in those songs, even though they may be sung by gospel singers. You know, get on a train, what's that got to do with anything? But the, here it is. You've got to have a ticket to ride on any train, don't you? Come on now. If you don't, you end up getting thrown off somewhere between stops, right? The next, next water stop or something, you get thrown off the train. If you haven't got a ticket, you can't ride that train. In the case of the glory train, the ticket is Jesus Christ. He's your ticket to ride to glory. Now, there are some people who uh, say, I'm saved by grace. I'm on the glory train, and I've reserved a sleeper car all the way. But uh, we got to be busy for the Lord. Just because we're saved by grace doesn't mean we're supposed to be sitting back on our haunches. No, there's no charge to ride the glory train. When we all get to heaven, we're going to sing, we're going to shout. But in the meantime, God has motivated us to serve Him because we know that we're on our way to heaven by free grace. We're there because it's been bought and paid for. There is no charge to ride the glory train because it's been bought and paid for by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not by works. It's not by the law. 
You and I can't do enough to save ourselves or keep ourselves saved. It is absolutely impossible. And so Paul, writing by inspiration, uses an allegory. Look in verse 24, which things are an allegory, a figure of speech. Let me stop for just a moment. Beware of preachers and teachers and religious systems that allegorize everything. There are prominent religious systems today that make everything in the Bible figurative, so nothing is literal, and consequently, it is open to anybody's silly interpretation, whether it is correct or not. Now, when God wants to give an illustration, He says He's given an illustration. That's what we have here. And Spurgeon said it very well. Perhaps the Prince of Preachers, one of the great preachers of all times, a Baptist in London, England, for a number of years in the 19th century, that is the 1800s. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said to his preacher boys that illustrations are like windows to the soul. They let the light in. Good illustrations. Now you'll hear some preachers, different styles, and some preachers will preach messages that are just one story, one joke, one illustration after another, and you kind of wonder afterwards, it was very entertaining, but what did I hear from the Bible? And that's wrong. And then there are some preachers that are so severe, and I've known some of them, that they absolutely don't allow for any smiling, any levity, any joy, any happiness in the pulpit whatsoever. And I just soon go out the back door before that guy ever gets started, because, uh, you know, I believe there is joy in serving Jesus. Come on now. I believe there's a reason to smile, and there's nothing wrong with good, clean humor. And if an illustration or a story helps to let the light in, that's good. So there is a balance that must be maintained. Are you listening to me? Bible preaching is Bible. It's true to the Bible. Don't say or do anything that takes away from the truth of the Bible. But if you can say something through your experience as you're led of the Lord when you're teaching or preaching the Word of God that will help other people to understand it better, so be it. That's the purpose and the place of illustration. In this case, we have the Scripture itself giving us an allegory, a figure of speech. So I hope everybody understands what I'm going to say now, that Abraham had two sons. Abraham had two sons that are in view here. The two mothers represent the two covenants. The one covenant was the covenant of law, and the other was the covenant of promise. Covenant of law and the covenant of promise. So, you know the story as well as I do. You know that there were two mighty, spiritual, wonderful role models, except they're human, and, and they were flawed in this respect. I'm talking about Abram, who became Abraham, and Sarai, who became Sarah later on. They had been promised that God would give them a child. That child of promise would be the one through whom our Savior would come. But uh, they got a little impatient. And the reason they got impatient was, was because they got old. Now nobody here gets impatient because they get old. Ah, I know. I know how it is. You got to wait. You got to wait. You got to wait. You got to wait. And the Bible says tribulation worketh patience. So you know how that is. And these people, even though they're great people, I don't want to say anything against them, but Abram and Sarai decided, at least Sarai decided, that she's going to help God out. So because she was past the normal age of childbearing, God had promised a child. So if God promises, God can fix it. But 
she said, we, we're going to have to do something about this. And so she got her handmaid, and this was done in those days. Now, you don't, you don't have to look critically at the practice of what I'm going to tell you. It may be abhorrent to you. I know that from the beginning, God's plan has always been one man, one woman. That's it. That's the plan. That's the program. But in Bible times, God permitted a, a more than one, okay? So that's what I'm saying. During Bible times, that was permitted. You and I may not like that. That's not permitted now. And uh, we don't have plural marriage. We don't believe in, in that. But, but that was done in those days. And it was, it was perfectly acceptable. And God permitted this to happen. Sarai said, I'm going to bring Hagar, who's my handmaid. And Abram, you go in to her and, and conceive and, and have it. This will be the child of promise. Now, what's wrong with that is, is not that there was more than one woman in Abram's life, even though that's abhorrent to us. What was wrong here was they had no faith, and they ran ahead of God. Are you listening to me? They had no faith. Hey, preacher's going to make it clear, so nobody goes away and says the wrong thing. I'm against more than one wife, okay? I'm against more than one woman in Abram's life. That was permitted. God permitted it. But what they did was outside of the boundary of faith. They weren't faithful. They weren't practicing faith. They decided to help God out. And when you and I try to help God out in any way, whether it's that way or any way, we are just as guilty as Abram and Sarai were. The natural thing that occurred was a pregnancy, a birth, and the child that was born was Ishmael. And Ishmael is the father of all the Ishmaelites. And that represents that which is done naturally. I'm talking about in the individual life, it's Ishmaelism. If you start, I'm going to take care, I'm going to help God out. It's Ishmaelism. Uh, I'm going to help God out. Plan B. I've got this spare tire kind of plan back here. I'm going to help God out. God has said, walk by faith and not by sight. But you know what? That's awful hard to do. So I'm going to have my Ishmael plan back here. Wrong, Christian. Wrong. Wrong. We can be just as wrong as Abram and Sarai were in bringing Hagar into the picture and having an Ishmael result. Just as wrong. Ishmaelism is rampant where people pretend to have church. You say, preacher, where is that? Anywhere people are doing church their own way. When they're doing their own thing, that's an Ishmael church. It's Ishmaelism when they do it apart from the will of God. Not by faith, but by man's means. When you have religion, by man's means. When you do religion, man's way. That's Ishmaelism. And it's wrong. It's running ahead of God. It's wrong. Now, a very famous preacher said, I'm so glad Abram did that. Because it kind of gives me excuse for all the times I've run ahead of God. Wrong, wrong, wrong. There is no excuse. Wait on the Lord. Come on now. Wait on the Lord. That's what we need to learn to do. Wait on God until His perfect timing. How many times have we seen... If, if I'd, I... We're talking about one thing today, weren't we, sweetheart? If, if I had jumped out and handled a certain situation, I would have been totally justified in the flesh, but I would have been ahead of God. And I didn't do it. And now it's come around full circle, I think. We'll see. We'll see what God's going to do. God is in charge. 
Praise the Lord. Okay, let me go, let me go a little bit further with this. Abram, Abraham had two sons in view here. The two mothers represent the two covenants. That's, you know, you got, you got law and you got promise. Legalism does what Ishmael eventually did. Ishmael, when once, once uh, Isaac was born, Ishmael was picking on little Isaac, mocking, making fun of, picking on him, and was persecuting him. And that eventually resulted in uh, them being put out. The bondwoman and Ishmael were put out, and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac then had their, their little home. Now, But they went through that experience that persecution took place. Ishmael and his descendants have been persecuting Isaac ever since then, literally over in the Middle East. Everything you got going on over there, a bunch of cousins fighting with each other. That's what it is, over who's got the property rights, who's going to occupy the land. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, those that have come in the line of Isaac and Jacob are going to occupy everything from the Euphrates over to the Mediterranean, down to the, the Gulf of Arabia, over to the river of Egypt in the millennium. That's going to take, that's all going to, you talk about a changed map. The whole map during the millennium, uh, that, the promised land is going to cover all of that. That was all promised, Genesis chapter 12 and beyond. So, we, we understand that is the case, all right? Now, legalism still persecutes and enslaves people today. Legalism is still persecuting people who, who are being taught, who are being subjected to that which is heretical with respect to their salvation and their eternal security. Thank God it's already been taken care of. God took care of it. Jesus Christ paid the price in full at Calvary. We're on our way to heaven We've got the joy of the Lord. We've got all the blessings. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything, if we'll, if we'll claim our blessings and our promises, we'll be able to live out a full life serving the Lord productively here and now, except for those pesky legalists that come along and say, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that. No, I'm free, praise the Lord. Now, I need to still do right. I need to still follow the direction of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. But none of that has to do with paying for or keeping my salvation. Are you clear on that? Say amen. All right. So legalism has to, has to get the boot. Give, come on, just like that. Give it the, right now. Give it the boot, just like that. I can't do that one more time. All right. Legalism needs to get the boot. Kick out legalism. We're against legalism. You say, well, preacher, preacher, when, when you go to church and you you dress right, and you act right, and you talk right, and you do things the way you do, and you've got kind of a traditional setup for your church here, and that's legal. No, that's not legalism. Man, that's intelligent, first of all. Let me say that. That's biblical, all right? That's conservative, yes, but it's not legalism. For it to have been legalism, it would have to be part of my getting saved or keeping saved. It's not legalism. Everybody with me? That's not legalism. So... Kick out legalism. Legalism has no claim on those of us who are children of God's grace. Amen. Amen. So, when you think about this story, this allegory, which has been given to us, uh, this, is, this is for our help. Think, think help. Think clarity. It is there to help us to get it 
clear, to get it straight, to get it right, so that we're not confused about who we are, what our identity is in Jesus Christ. Our identity is not determined by what we do. Our identity is not determined by what we keep on doing or keep on thinking or keep on whatever. Every person here is subject to stumbling. And if our salvation were dependent upon our consistency, we would all be lost. There's not a single person on the planet who would be saved if it were dependent upon consistency. You'd never know if you were still saved or if you were still lost. If you're one of those poor people who is subject to the false teaching of Galatianism, if you've got Ishmael uh, in your life, if Ishmael is in your uh, relationships, if Ishmael is in your thinking, if Ishmael is in your religion or in your religious practice, you've got a problem also. So tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? Don't you get it? Don't you get it? There is a contrast between that which is totally produced by the flesh and by fleshly effort and by logic and by human reasoning and that which is dependent in faith upon the promises of God. I choose to stand on the promises of God. I choose to take God's way and not try to figure out my way because my way is going to falter. My way is, is no good. The two covenants that are spoken of are very important because a covenant is, is that which uh, is an unbreakable promise. It's made by God based upon the information and the responsibility that He's giving to those that are involved in the covenant. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai, uh, out there in Arabia, and when he received the law, we need to understand that the law was given so, first of all, there would be some type of order and organization by these several million Hebrews that were wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. There was going to have to be some, some kind of a codified system of law. And, and it, it overlapped their daily lives and, and their, uh, their ritual, their experience with, with the Lord. But uh, they, they had to have this. And, and it had to be binding. And it had to be severe. And it was. It was all of those things. It was fearsome. When Moses goes up on the mountain, the lightning is you know, flashing and the people are afraid and they don't want to go near and, and they can't approach unto it. And only Moses is up there and he gets... Uh, the, the commandments, and he comes down, and of course he finds them uh, in their rebellious state and, and goes back up. He spends a total of, of 80 days, think about this, 80 days in the presence of God, 80 days fasting, 80 days getting the law, everything that was necessary for them in order to function there in the wilderness. And then also, the next most important uh, factor with respect to the law that was given, in addition to all the, the detail that was given and all the ritual and all the ceremony and, you know, how, how, many, how many rings on the curtains and what colors and what, you know, what materials and, and what they represent, all of those things having to do with the tabernacle, with ceremonial worship, with the sacrifices, all of those things, the, the various uh, feasts and festivals and so on, all of that, all of that is designed Number two, to show man's inability, man's need for God, to show us that the law, being so severe, condemns us and we need a Savior. That was the reason 
for the law. That is still the reason for the law. That is why the Ten Commandments have not been outmoded. I understand, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, is not, uh, is not enforced upon us in the New Testament because Jesus Christ Himself is our Sabbath rest. Uh, he is the fulfillment uh, of the law. He's the end of the law to everyone that believeth. But the Ten Commandments are still good. And those Ten Commandments can, can go up on uh, courthouse lawns and can go up on, on uh, walls of Congress and go up on monuments and places. And, and they, they cannot be uh, considered to be uh, an exercise in personal religious belief because these are universal. The Ten Commandments are for every human being on the planet, whether they are Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, or whatever they are. The Ten Commandments are for everybody. They, they are, this is reality. This is, <laughs> this is for sure something that ought to be. And I believe if, if they are able, if Governor Northam is able to get these kids all trucked back to school somehow in the fall and get them separate, I don't know how he's going to do it. I've dealt with kids. We've dealt with kids for years and years and years. For all of our married life, we've been dealing with kids in, in Sunday school and church and youth groups and schools and so on. I don't know how they're going to get kids in school to do social distancing. I don't know how that's possible. Does anybody here really believe that they're going to be successful in that? No, they won't be successful. Any more successful than, than the protesters were social distancing. That's not going to, that's not going to happen either. See, that doesn't happen in the real world. But if all those kids got back to school, the best thing that could ever greet them would be if on the wall there were Ten Commandments. And then assignment number one is everybody memorize them. Now the ACLU would scream. Right now the ACLU is having a rough time with what I'm saying over the, over the uh, waves right now as it's going out. But let me tell you, Life would be a lot easier for every human on the planet if everybody had to learn the Ten Commandments and they understood the Ten Commandments were real. Life would be a whole lot easier for the ACLU lawyers, the attorneys. The next time one of them goes out to get in his car and he, he finds it's been stolen, you know, he would probably wonder, you know, maybe it would have been a good idea if somebody had learned the Ten Commandments. Instead of stealing my car, instead of mugging me in the alley, instead of, you know, you know draining my account through some type of, of online theft. You know what I'm saying? The, the Ten Commandments are good for everybody, but the Ten Commandments never saved anybody. All the Ten Commandments accomplish is they condemn us to needing a Savior. We all need a Savior. So that's what we've got. We've got... We've got the deadness of the law. We've got the condemnation of the law. But we've got the joy and the, and the uh, optimism of promise with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. That's the picture there. I want that. I want the promise. I want the greater covenant. I want what I have in and through Jesus Christ who is in the line of Isaac and Jacob as we have seen already. Jerusalem, which is above, refers to the heavenly Jerusalem. Looking forward to that day, aren't you? I am. Now, I know this. According to the description we have in Scripture, it will, it will uh, surpass anything in today.
today's Jerusalem, either the old or the new city of Jerusalem, uh, as stunning as it may be, as impressive as the various landmarks may be, does not hold a candle to the new Jerusalem, which 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, either is a huge cube or a huge pyramid maybe. I'm not sure how it's configured, but it's 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles. That's big enough. It's been computed. It's big enough for everybody, for whosoever will. If they would call on the name of the Lord, they could be part of it. Now, there are those who teach otherwise, but I believe, I believe this, that our God, uh, it, that the Lord is uh, not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So how do you get saved? You have a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction. It's a commandment of God. It's a gift of God. We turn around. We go the opposite direction. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We stop blaming God for everything in the world. And now we trust Jesus Christ to save us. And we become part of His family by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that simple. It is that simple. And so, as... The apostle is quoting Isaiah 54, 1 here. Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Though the context here is of coming judgment and God's deliverance, there is a clear reference here to, to Sarah and Hagar. That's what Paul's point is. The blessing of the seed of promise, which is Sarah's son Isaac, and we track that way is far more than the seed of the bondwoman, Hagar, which is Ishmael. So God blessed Isaac more than he blessed Ishmael. You say, well, that doesn't seem fair. You've been brought up in a world that isn't quite real, if that's your thinking. Because God can do whatever he wants to, and the world is not fair. Understand that. So Isaac represents more blessing than Ishmael, because that's God's plan. That's God's program. He will bless those of us who are in Christ far more than those who've got themselves stuck back under the law somewhere or other. I want you to think about it this way. Law is a heavy weight, and it's you know, been dropped off of the top of the Empire State Building, and it's wedged into the cement. But here you have people that even though they don't have to be under the law, they've received Christ, and they have free grace. Now they're trying to wedge themselves back under the law. Isn't that a silly illustration? Absolutely. I'm very thankful that regardless of persecution, right is still right and wrong is still wrong. I'm glad that regardless of false teaching, the truth is still the truth and error is still error. And even though we are a part of what would be considered a minority in the religious world, we still are right because the Bible says so. The Bible says we are right. So we need to evict Hagar and her son, symbolically, we need to kick out legalism, kick out anything that, that is tainted by the law or by any kind of conditions on our salvation, get rid of Hagar and fully embrace Sarah and Isaac and the truth of grace and promise and faith. We are not saved by good works. We don't lose our salvation by our failure to maintain good works. Thank God for the truth that we find here in Galatians Chapter 4. Can I get an amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Amen. Isn't it good?
to have the truth. Amen. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray from your heart right now to God? Something like this and mean it. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And if you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you raise your hand right now?